0: our wonderful chef Dima Sharif Uh, check out her website dimasharif.com for fabulous ideas and photographs and uh, look out for her Cookbook, her first cookbook that's coming out later this year and her pickles those beautiful organic pantry essentials and joining us at table is mark evans who's product development manager for spinnies and he's been educating us on the egg uh, where it comes from and uh, the choices we have there on the shelves of the supermarket and how to make our choices to be better informed now one of our listeners text in to say brown or white brown or white eggs what's that all about is there a difference
1: um, to the breed and to the type of hen but again it's across the whole range and breed and type of chicken or hen it is um and again i think i mentioned earlier in the, in the show that there's a huge movement to go back to old style uh wild uh you know fowl if you want to call that or hens because originated in you know the sort of america's indian subcontinent where you know they had different colour shells such as blue, green, speckled, every colour in the world. And if you look at, you know, birds across, you know, every nation, they all have different coloured shells and and eggs. And a lot of it is attributed to uh, where they actually live. So if you think about a nest on the ground, if it's pebbly ground, the the egg has to be pebbly coloured so predators don't, you know, take the egg. So a lot of it is linked to environment and, you know, actual natural selection so it's a huge conversation that i'm definitely not qualified enough to talk about in in the bigger picture but on a general terms it is about you know natural selection
0: and what it's highlighting there is again uh the provenance of our food and understanding what it is that we have uh not only on our plate but before we get to that you know when we're buying off the shelf when we're putting it into our cupboards or into our fridges and realizing that it's come from nature And then it is something that is going to feed us and it's going to nourish us. So how we take care of that and
2: how we manage that is all important. We forget. We forget that things are not products. They are actually, like in this case, it's alive. It's part of the ecosystem. Yes, it happens to be food, but it is alive. And we forget that. We forget that connection between food and life altogether. And... Only when we actually stop to see it that way that it actually becomes interesting because then we understand that sometimes we're actually being stupendous, thinking that we want the perfect-looking egg in nature. There's nothing that's perfect unless it's engineered.
1: Yeah, and one of the things the Dima said to me when we were talking earlier was, you know bit concerned sometimes one of the things you always look at is you see blood spots on the shell and things like that is a question i'm sure will get asked um, and actually again it's a natural thing whereas you know it's the rupturing of small blood vessels uh, during the the creation of the yolk as part of the uh, growth of the egg that then goes onto the shell and it's completely natural and it, it you know it is you know it's not unsafe at all it's absolutely fine
0: mm. it has a story yeah. It has a story. You just need to understand the story. Well, supermarkets all over the UAE sell local eggs, but also import eggs from Europe and across the world. In 2004, the European Union introduced a mandatory method of p- production labelling on shell eggs. Since then, all eggs produced in the UA- EU have been labelled by law as either eggs from caged hens, barn eggs eggs or free range. Campaign group Labelling Matters is a big part of this effort and our producer Petra spoke to its European projects manager Vinlo Costain about this very subject. She began by asking him why the campaign exists.
3: Labelling matters exists because we are trying to get method of production labelling onto all meat and dairy products which are sold in the European Union. Uh, and the reason that we're trying to do this is because this form of labelling has existed for shell eggs, so the kind of eggs that you buy in a supermarket to uh, make an omelette from or, or to boil uh, for a boiled egg. Those sorts of, legs have, uh, uh, sort of eggs have been uh, labelled as uh, eggs from caged hens, barn eggs, free-range or organic. So, so it's been mandatory labelling for all eggs. Since, uh, since 2004, and we've seen an enormous increase in the number of, uh, of, of egg-laying hens that have lived in cage-free systems as a result of that. So since 2003, just before the labelling came in, we've seen a more than doubling of the European cage-free egg-laying hen flock from around about 19% to now around 42% across the whole of Europe. And this is because consumers can identify higher-welfare eggs and they are choosing to buy those higher welfare eggs, therefore supporting producers who are working to higher welfare systems. And how long has it taken you to get to where you are now? We we have existed as a campaign for about the last uh, four years, and... Uh, and and w- so we weren't part of, Labelling Matters wasn't part of that change uh, initially for ShellX, um, but the organizations that we represent w- were very much part of that campaign. So Labelling Matters is a coalition project between Compassion World Farming, the RSPCA, the Soil Association, and Eurogroup for Animals, which is a big umbrella uh, for animal welfare organizations in all 28 European Union member states. Now, all of those organizations were, were calling out for this form of labeling to, to occur back in in the past and now we've come together uh, in this coalition to persuade the european union to move forwards uh, having had such great success that the commission itself has recognized and that industry has recognized on shell eggs to move forward uh, with this form of labeling on other meat and dairy products
0: do you believe that some labels are misleading <laughs>
3: I, I, think it, I think it's difficult to say misleading because that, uh, that, that suggests intention to mislead. I, I certainly think that a lot of labels are confusing and research that we've had, uh, w- that we've undertaken, that we have commissioned out to independent research organizations has shown very clearly that most consumers, even consumers who, who believe that they have a really pretty good understanding of farm systems, uh, modern farming systems, uh, really just simply aren't able to identify from the label whether the food has come from a good farm system in terms of welfare, or, or a poor farm system, and so there's there's very clear evidence that uh, that labels are confusing. Words, for example, like farm fresh or country fresh, uh, imply higher welfare standards than actually exist. And the fairly liberal use of, uh, of green fields or caricature happy animals, particularly in the dairy sector, for example, you have you know happy cows being sold on uh, being used on labels for particular dairy products.
0: With all that going on at the moment, do you think that consumers are being more clued up about reading labels?
3: I think that there is quite a lot of information on the label, and consumers are very good at sifting through the information uh, to find what what they want to see. Now, I'm, I'm a father of two children. I have a one-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. When I go shopping in the supermarket, I don't have time uh, to, to read an essay. I don't have time to look at all of the detail. However, I want to find the information that I want to be able to find. Uh, and currently, I can't find it because it isn't there uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of animal welfare. And, and when, again, the research has been undertaken in, in many different countries in the European Union, um, we found that consumers really want this information as extra the label they recognize that there's a lot of information there already but they want to know how the animal that's been used to produce the food that they're about to buy has been kept and we found i think that it's around uh, more than two-thirds of consumers have said that they would really like to see more information about um, farm animal welfare systems. And when we've asked the question about method of production labeling, we found that more than three quarters of European consumers want to see the extension of method of production labeling. And for example, in France, it's up to 90% of consumers want that information to be clear at point of sale on the label on the front of the packet.
0: That's Petra there talking to Finlay Costain. He's the European Projects Manager with uh, Labelling Matters, which is a campaign group. So uh, understanding your labels, understanding how to read them and what they mean, it's all important. Heaps coming in on this, all sorts of messages actually around uh, eggs, how to cook them, concerns about them, and you love them as well, and I do too. But we've got to squeeze in a little...
1: Yes, the ingredient.
0: Clue number four, is it? Our mystery yep. ingredient. And Mark's the keeper of this clue.
1: The top producers of this ingredient are Spain, France and Italy. It wasn't until the 20th century that it was grown in the United States. Now, California produces 100% of the United States crop of this ingredient. With Castroville in California calling itself the centre of the world for this ingredient... So if you're from that part of the world, maybe you have guessed it by now, text us on 4001.
0: Vikas, it's not olives, and it's not oranges either, or nuts, or grapes, so keep guessing. There's another clue coming from Dima in a little while. Uh, So let's have a look at some of the questions in on eggs, and... um, regarding this one that came in, which is a good point to make that if you're looking at organic husbandry when it comes to eggs and so therefore they're more expensive what does it mean when you see cheap eggs
1: i think you know again it comes back to the space and the environment that the uh, the hens are kept in so we all know uh, about the horrific sort of battery farming conditions uh, that a lot of hens and chickens have been kept in. When you in the say past. we
0: all know, do we all know? That's a good point to raise, and that's yeah. something people should explore and look into to understand what can happen when it comes to farming of eggs, hens, and the conditions they're yeah. kept in.
1: And I suppose I say that in in sort of my European sort of overview in in a way because it's such a big thing to us uh, that it is slowly, fortunately, being outlawed. Uh, And it is one of the things about battery-farmed animals, and hens in particular, that brought the prices down and made eggs, in many respects sometimes, a commodity ingredient, Um, and it's why, again... A lot of products are now moving more into free range and organic because there's more trust within that on the actual certification and the controls that we all sign up for.
0: Have you ever been to a battery farm? I've been
1: to both. Have I've been you? to both battery and organic. Yeah.
0: What's it like?
1: Um, probably not very pretty. No. And uh, The best way to describe it is you'll never forget the smell.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. You know, and this is what we have to be aware of, really, how animals are being kept and used to produce the food that we happily eat. Or waste. Or waste without ever considering or necessarily understanding or even respecting where it's come from. So it's really interesting and important to flag that up. So conditions of a, a battery farm where the eggs are kept literally in very confined spaces on the clock to produce in and conditions... on one another. ...or what's stacked up one on top of the other to produce the eggs that you may go and eat later on. So, yeah, OK. So that, that's where the cost can come into play.
1: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, most people are pretty much savvy to the fact that you get what you pay for at the end of the day, in my opinion. And um, again, that comes down to the actual feed, what the animal is fed. And if you look at historically all the food scares we've had, the issues we've had across the world and within certain nations, you can look at things like BSC. I was exec chef for the National Farmers Union of Great Britain. The weak BSE was was actually formally announced in the sort of mid-90s. And I can remember just the furore alone surrounding that. And we had the egg scare of salmonella in the UK. So when you've actually lived through these or you've seen the effect it has within just people in general and let's not talk about industry people and the fear factor of people you know it, it's not nice to have to think about things like that mm. that you're going to ingest or give to your children you mm. know you eventually this is the pay thing. for it one mm-hmm. way
2: or the other you do mm, through your
0: health mm. yeah yeah that must have been quite a week and coming months when the bsc
1: we was and uh i'll never forget i got a phone call uh i was working away in the kitchen and uh my boss came up to me and he said, uh, The chairman wants to see you on the top floor right away. And I thought, What have I done? You know, <laughs> what, what's going on? What have I done? I went up to the third floor, was escorted into the chairman's office. And he just looked at me and he said, Mark, uh, just to make you aware, every day from now on, in the main restaurants and on the board dinners, make sure there's beef as a main course.
3: Mm.
0: Interesting. Wow. Mmm, wow, amazing. Well, listen, uh, looking at our eggs, and uh, somebody here is asking about swine flu and things like that. Can they be spread via our eggs? Not that, no. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think, I think, you know, we're not health experts in this particular field, but no. And again, you know, do do your homework, but don't, again, be too scared of what you're eating either. And,
2: you know, here in Dubai, we do have very good uh, food safety procedures. So I'm sure if there is a problem, it will be actually. The eliminated. controls of yeah.
1: Dubai Municipality and GSO, I mean, they're seconds are none. So I think, you know, the fear factor there should be very limited.
0: Now, cooking. An egg. Now this was something we set as a challenge on our cook-off competition uh, a couple of months ago at the Sheraton Grand and our finalists did very well in the kitchen cooking off their dishes but what they didn't know is that we're going to surprise them and ask for them to cook us the perfect egg. This is what one of our listeners is asking about as well. The poached eggs that we get served in cafes and restaurants you know the perfectly round poached egg. How do we create that at home?
2: Dima. Okay, it's a trick. So you need um, cling film that's heat resistant, food grade, of course. And then you can place that cling film inside like a small bowl, and then crack the egg um, inside. so, So the actual egg is inside that film and then just twist it on top and seal it. All right. And then you'll You'll put that inside the boiling water, and then when it's done, it will keep that shape. However, what does help, if you don't want to use cling film, is using vinegar in the water, because the vinegar will not allow the egg to spread too much in the water. The heat of the water has got to be hot. If it's just slightly hot or the heat is not good enough, it will not cook fast enough to keep its shape, and it will just dismantle. Um, Another thing, nowadays there are gadgets that you can buy that are made for this specific thing. I do not like to buy gadgets, but for those of you who do, you can find them. Uh, You don't want the Egg Master, then. That's what I
0: picked up on this morning from The Guardian. (laughs) 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 And there's a lot of interest around the titling (laughs) and labeling of this gadget. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mark, uh, anything you'd like to share? I mean,
1: uh, exactly as Dima says, one of the key things a lot of chefs will do is they'll get the water to a simmering point. But the vinegar is part of the key thing because actually the acid in the vinegar uh, helps set the uh, protein and the egg white, so it goes into a nice round shape. But also you would stir the simmering Mm. water so that it gets a round uh, circular motion to make the egg, when you crack it, form around mm-hmm. and you'll often put that into a ring so there'll be a ring within there yeah. to actually keep the shape so there's a few little tricks there that you can do
0: well, let's take a look at your recipe, uh, Dima, and uh, beautiful recipes using eggs, but also something you might have at Suhoor or at Iftar, and going into, of course, Eid this weekend and Eid uh, celebrations. And I'd be interested to see, you know, here we have the, the, the woman with the Middle Eastern roots and the the guy with the, with the UK British roots and how you might uh, do things slightly differently when it comes to these particular dishes. So which one would you like to start
2: with? I'll start with Paris Meat Jerusalem. Okay. All right. So, you know how I like things to have a story, and the recipes as such always have stories. So, over here, I'm creating my stories, and I find that modernizing some traditional recipes is a way that you can create your own story or add to the narrative. So, over here, the story behind this recipe starts with I'm fascinated when it comes to egg with how it's changed the baking process of food. Um, We can leaven cakes completely on eggs like the angel cake. We do not need to add any additives. And I think that at some point when they discovered that, that was really interesting. When it comes, so baked eggs, basically I wanted to go for something like that. And when it comes to baked eggs, um, what says it better than a quiche? However like i told you there are things that we have so much in common that is just under described so in traditional palestinian cuisine we have something called mfarraket batata Faraket batata is mainly a baked um, egg with roasted potatoes so you put them together kind of like a frittata kind of like a quiche Mm. so basically um and people will actually make a crust with potatoes if you cut them thin But the most traditional way to do it is the cubes. Then you have it with bread, right? So in a way, in your mouth, what's at play Mm -hmm. is exactly a quiche and exactly a frittata and exactly a baked egg dish.
1: Sounds fantastic. So,
2: and and in my attempt to do modern uh, cuisine, I find that people do fusions a lot and call it modern. So I wanted to do something where... In concept, it sounds like a fusion, but it's actually modern, and it's not a fusion. It's not a fusion because it is shared ingredients, shared techniques between cuisines. So it might sound French, but it also is Palestinian. However, and I haven't changed um, the essence of the cuisine. I've just reassembled, all right, and here to make it modern. So Mferrake is something my grandmother will serve me. So if I were to serve it to my guests, they won't find it as interesting. So I've come up with this tart. I've called it Paris-meat-Jerusalem-savory tart because it uses the ingredients that are shared between Jerusalem, the city, and Paris, the city. And why not meet and find where we are similar? So um, in this tart, I've used artichokes. I've used black olives. I've gone for the quiche style of making um, the tart, although the ingredients and the way it is done, except for the casing, is all 100% Palestinian. In the recipe you will see on the website, it's using short crust. So this is a fusion. In the original modern recipe that I do, so it doesn't qualify as fusion, I actually go for the actual potatoes as crust or a bread, and I bake inside the bread. I just hollow it out, farmer's bread. Hollow out and oh. bake inside. And then it's just gorgeous. I'm telling you, like, I'm getting hungry now. So. <laughs> Let's just stop because some people are fasting. So, yeah, this is the inspiration and the story behind this one. Um, I think the guys will find um it's up on our website Uh,
0: check it out on the Dubai Today page at dubaii1038.com, we post all our recipes there, we've also put uh, connections to Dima as well so you can connect with her also, now when we come back we'll hear from Mark and see what he takes from Dima's recipe and maybe what he has that's similar or how he would uh, maybe put his particular slant on it when he was baking something like this and in the breaks we're talking about sous vide foods and packaged and all sorts but we're talking about eggs this morning and sharing uh, recipe ideas for Sahur and Iftar with my guests we have Chef Dima Sharif and also Mark Evans who's a trained chef, he's worked all over but here working with Spinneys as Product Development Manager. Interesting background, he helped develop the first ever Tesco Finest Rangers in the UK along with the Wild Bean Cafe Rangers. Uh, He's also worked with chefs like Gary Rhodes, Brian Turner and James Martin and we're going to find out in a little while because it's part of his recipe about his work involving the British sandwich designer of the year how that came about and uh, what he was uh, designing sandwich wise and uh, your messages send them in keep them coming in on 4001 and uh, you were sharing just then Dima your recipe for Paris meat Jerusalem savoury tart and if you missed that if you've just tuned in then it's up on our website so check it out on the Dubai Today page now Mark we were all salivating listening to Dima's story and explaining this recipe. What would you do with that?
1: I mean, I think for me, it, when you talk about a tart, um, we we would class it, again, as a quiche in, in the UK, or that would be, for us, such a, a British product, a British summertime. And it, it's about picnics. It's about going out and celebrating with the family. It's about holidays, bank holidays. So so for me, it would be a, a lovely crisp Uh, pastry and we would probably blind bake it first to get a real good crispness on it Um, and then it would be a simple egg custard, savoury egg custard of eggs and milk a little bit of cream but a really nice cheddar, cheese and onion quiche, mm. you know, a cave-age, extra-mature cheddar, crumbled, because they don't grate that well when they're that old <laughs> and, and that tasty. And keep it simple, you know, nice cheese and onion quiche, love, really nicely baked, and then served with a, a nice fresh salad and mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a lovely, nice summer's day. You can't really go much no, wrong. No, sounds
0: good nice. to me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's have a look at your recipe, uh, Mark, and on the, the, the sort of... Um, Note of uh, sandwiches with the. I'm glad you put this in. um, Is that I'll hand it over to you just to remind you what you've got there is the open egg sandwich. You can't beat a good egg sandwich.
1: No, you can't. And I think you know when you look at what we've got there, nice egg sandwich. We've got the sourdough bread, bit of olive oil on there, virgin olive oil, some asparagus spears, Dijon mustard, and it's that combination of again, it's a it's a vegetarian offer as well Mm -hmm. but it's utilizing eggs egg yolks and then it's the bound in a little bit of dressing and it's just a nice simple flavors that actually the egg is the flavor and the asparagus adds a little bit of you know bit of poshness if you want for a better word (laughs) but sandwiches again when you talk about designing a sandwich we always talk about sandwiches and what people like to eat in the UK. It's quite different to the market across the rest of the world. And people have their own signature sandwiches. You know, your sort of uh, countries across the world all have their, their own versions. Their own, the or Cubans the, yeah. and the South Americans have uh, the, you know, the, the Luca and their midnight sandwiches. And mm-hmm. everyone has a different variety of bread and things. So, your Italians have Tramazzini breads, which are crustless layered breads, soft and filled, very big. So, your ciabatta, your focaccia, mm. all of these are relevant uh, to, and to. what did Carrier. you?
0: What did you submit then to get British Sandwich Designer of the Year?
1: Well, it was an interesting one because it was um, it was actually something that again plays back to some of the things we talked about today. Was actually a traditional sandwich with a twist so it was actually looking at developing a I developed a seeded bread that was a wholemeal base but seeded to give it a bit of crunch and robustness but it was actually a tuna um which was obviously dolphin friendly sustainable flaked and part of it was blended with the rasal hanout uh, ah, flavor okay. and then with a a light Uh, free-range mayonnaise but then sandwiched on the bread but then also flecked tuna so you got the combination of the actual blended tuna and the spices and then the tuna as in the body of it on the so you got the bite so not a boring old tuna sandwich at the end of the day not
2: indeed you're making us so ah, hungry <laughs>
0: you two guys are fantastic i mean really just getting you to think a little bit more and take it a little bit further with what you might take every day and make every week but just explore a little bit with the textures the flavors the ingredients
2: and the techniques and and you know it's fascinating how people say they get bored of cooking I mean, if you just repeat and you're not mindful, you're neither in choice of ingredient nor in what exactly are you cooking, what are you trying to do with this food? This is the kind of stuff that makes food worth cooking. And this is why it becomes an activity that everybody likes and enjoys.
1: Food fantasy.
2: And
0: if that wasn't enough, I'm already fantasizing about the tuna sandwich there and the savory tart. But food Mm. fantasy. So asking my guests this morning, what is their food fantasy? Now, this could be anything. It could be something you've always wanted to create or it was something that you've eaten before that has stayed with you over the years. It could be a memory. It could be a place. So Dima, what is your food
2: fantasy? So staying true with technology. And the balance of technology. I, um, my fantasy is a sci-fi one. <laughs> hmm. So I'd love to have a time machine and go back in time and sit with people when they first started moving from hunting gathering, for instance, into organized meals. Uh, moving from there to um, actually cooking meals and planning them and moving from there to, for instance, the French um, Renaissance when they started cooking lavish, lavish meals and categorizing them. So basically, a back and forth in time will do wonders for me. So if that fantasy can ever come true, I'll be happy. Sounds hmm. good to me. And I think we'd like to jump on and get uh, into that time machine <laughs> with you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, interesting. you uh, Im- uh, imagine that? And I hope imagine. you land in the right time and the right place, though. Yeah. Uh, but well, you know, it's technology. It'll be controlled.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not when a lion is is charging.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, making sure you get the hunter
0: gatherer thing in the yeah. right order. Well,
1: there's a big <laughs> tree nearby. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Actually, talking, you? Yeah,
0: trees. Can you climb up them? That's something to discuss at some point as well. Uh, okay. So, Mark, your
1: food fantasy. M- mine's kind of a bit of something that I'd like to do as well. Uh, I've always kind of liked to sail or be on the ocean, for want of a better way to describe it. I come from a family that's done a little bit of fishing historically, but I'd love to go out and do some of the Alaskan, you know, and and do some of the king crab and actually fish for king crab. Um, which is meant to be one of the most dangerous things to do in as a job it's eighty times more dangerous than your average worker in in Alaska and and America. So I'd love to go and catch around sort of king crab and then come back and on the harbour side cook it over an open pit with vegetables and seaweed but using burlap sacks and the sort of things you get oysters in Mm, you know heavy duty sacks and do it as a sort of old school way of cooking it fresh because most of the Alaskan crab is cooked on board because of toxins and the way the animal is it needs to be done fresh so it'd be nice to be able to do it completely fresh. Have you
2: seen it during storms? Yeah. I've seen something on Discovery. Yeah. It was scary.
1: Yeah, That's yeah. Part so of the we're attraction. both very adventurous. <laughs> yeah. I have to, to say, <laughs> say you've done it. Yeah. it's part of the thing. I'd love to do yeah. and survived know. it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, incredible. That's a really interesting yeah. story. Fantastic. So, uh, c- growing up in Liverpool, you were born in Liverpool. Yeah, were you? I
1: grew up in Liverpool, uh, but my family all come from the Wirral, uh, which is right on the River Dee Estuary opposite North Wales and my father's father, my grandfather and all the family going back six, seven generations were all fishermen and shrimpers on the River Dee, brown shrimps. Yeah. As you've heard of potted shrimps. Yes. And so as a small boy I used to go out on the boats and we'd bring in the shrimps and cook them uh, on the way back but when the catch was brought in onto the table my job was to jump on and get out the bullfish, the wrasse, the flatties, the flukes and the pollock and the codling, and i'd have my own bucket for that and i would go back home with the catch and i would sell that to all the neighbors my pocket money (laughs) sort of thing and then we'd cook the shrimps on the way back and my uncle put them fresh into his hat and we'd all have them for breakfast fantastic fabulous
0: and how are those seas today uh from coming out of liverpool uh, when it comes to fish
1: Um, Well, they're not probably in that kind of state of Mm. repair is the best way Mm. to describe it. Uh, There is a small little uh, localised fleet within North Wales and on the Wirral Peninsula. And in all fairness, there's been massive efforts to to regenerate the area and the estuaries. And it's a lot better than people realise, actually. Uh, And it is becoming another uh, production uh, and another area that's growing. Guess the ingredient.
0: I've lost count now. Where are we up to in our mystery ingredient competition? Five.
2: So Five. Clue, clue number
3: five.
0: Concentrating on the story. So <laughs> clue number five to our mystery ingredient. This is to go into the draw to win a 500 dirham voucher to spend at Spinney's.
2: All right. So to eat this ingredient, you need to take off one individual leaf at a time, dip it in your favorite sauce and scrape off the fleshy base with your teeth. My favorite sauce being olive oil and lemon.
0: And we can tell you that this ingredient is one of the ingredients in Dima's recipe for Paris Meat Jerusalem, the savory tart.
1: Yes, the ingredient.
0: So our sixth and final clue to our mystery ingredient competition to go into the draw to win a 500 dirham voucher to spend at Spinney's. Mark.
1: Finally, the most succulent, chunky, edible part of this ingredient is buried deep inside the heart. Once you've devoured the leaves, you'll find a stack of hair hiding the heart below. The hair is inedible you rip it out and once your ingredients is hairless you'll be left with the heart and the remains of the stem.
0: (laughs) Great clue there. Thanks to Petra. So if you know what that is, let us know on 4001. Now we're just going to go to the phone lines because every day in the last two weeks we have been uh, speaking to people that have entered our Marathon Mania competition. Now this is to run the Standard Chartered Dubai Marathon on January the 22nd, 2016. And we have got Carvel on the line. Good morning to you, Carvel.
3: Good morning.
0: <laughs> Hello. How are you?
3: I'm oh, fine, thank you.
0: Excellent. Now, tell me, why did you enter this competition? Why would you want to train for six months? You're going to be training with Urban Energy. That's part of the prize. Uh, why would you want to train and take part in the Standard Chartered Dubai Marathon?
3: Um, well, it's kind of a, a dream. It's it's something that I I thought I could possibly do. Not sure that I can. I've only done like a 5K or a 10K um, before. Um, I also thought that it would be inspiring to the students who are in my running club, so so you're really a teacher, you're a
0: science teacher I yeah? am, um,
3: yes, yeah, yes So you're going
0: to inspire the kids And uh, hopefully get them out there running as well And yes, uh, you that's clearly nice. have, You've kind of fallen in love with running You're a part of a running club So that's yes. good because you're going to be doing an awful lot of it well, <laughs> Over the next six months So congratulations you, you are me. the winner You get a pair of Newton running shoes <laughs> To help you along your way A polar watch which has got a heart rate monitor And a GPS and distance tracking system on it You'll get six months marathon training with Urban Energy, who are fantastic trainers. You're awesome. also, also going to get that free registration into the Standard Charter Dubai Marathon on January the 22nd.
2: Best fabulous, thank
0: you <laughs> <laughs> another happy customer, I hope you're that excited <laughs> when you're in the middle of your training it's brilliant, It is an in, you are an inspiration, thank you so much for entering the competition and we wish you all the very best, we'll be catching up with you and your training along with the rest of the team over the next few months, so you have yourself a great weekend, take care thank you, thank you, bye bye, bye. Oh, it's been absolutely brilliant running this competition, people are really getting into it and taking on the challenge because it's no mean feat to run a full marathon but inspiring people to get out there be healthy get fit keep fit and to stretch yourself you know set yourself some challenges and uh, fulfil them so all the details are up on our website at DubaiI1038.com you'll find out more about Newton running shoes more about the Polar Watch and of course Urban Energy and all the classes they run throughout the year training people with all different distances when it comes to running but also all the various exercise classes that they conduct Guys, been talking about eggs this morning, we need to just come back and talk a little bit about egg yolk, Mark, and understanding, and Dima, what you look for in a yolk. There's different colours,
2: different sizes and shapes to an egg yolk, so what do you look for, Dima? I mean, I don't necessarily have any specific requirement. What I normally look for is the size of the egg itself. Um, If I'm baking, I will need a large egg. And I know that large eggs are not always naturally available. So then you're just going to have to go for more eggs. Um, Yolk-wise, I find the richness of the flavor is there. Um, So um, eggs that are rich with yolk are always better. The darker the color, the richer the flavor. So this is my concern. It's flavor functionality. Um, more than anything, but I think mark
1: yeah i mean it 's very true what you say the The key thing for you know the the hen is obviously the diet, and that obviously affects the yolk itself and the flavor, so it will become a darker, more l- luscious yellow colour. Uh, if the hen has eaten uh, plenty of plants that are yellowy, orange, or rich colours. So if you think of traditional things like buttercups. <laughs> it sounds really corny, but it's, it's the truth of the matter is if they're eating proper natural food and corn-specific, and marigold petals and things like that, if they're free-ranging, or if they're eating these natural ingredients, again, that transfers into the lovely flavours and colours of the yolk. Mm. If you've got a diet of straightforward brown cornmeal feed that's being fed into them where it's not going to be reflective in the flavour or the colour of the yolk it's just going to dull it so again if you want to be able to see what is the best egg yolk look at the depth and, and the, and the colour of the yellow all right.
0: What I always look for, and I used to keep little bantam hens in England, was uh, how a, a yolk sits on the white. Mm. So if it's up high, it's a bonny egg. It's a, it's a fresh proud. egg. It's a proud egg, exactly. Mm. If it's sort of spreading out that yolk into the white, mm-hmm. not so keen on that. Is that the case? Is that true? It tends to
1: be, because yeah. it's, again, about the uh, water and the uh, albumin content. So that's that's relevant to it. It's It's got a good body to it.
0: Let's take a look at more at your recipes. And if we start with Mark, and you've got uh, one of our favourites, egg fried rice
1: in there, right? Yeah, I mean, mm. it is a kind of, some would argue it's a national dish of the UK with their tikka masala. <laughs> you might say that, you know, it's one of the reasons I put it in there, to be honest. Um, and it comes back to, again, having all your ingredients ready, which is the great thing about... This dish, is it, you can have the rice cooked off before, the, the endami beans, all of the vegetables prepared so it's light and fresh. You have your eggs separate and then literally, again, stir fry and do it fresh, do it quickly and then add the egg, push it through, cook it through and serve it. So it's a good, healthy, quick meal solution.
0: Yeah, and you wouldn't always think necessarily healthy with the with the egg fried rice,
2: but you can do it with the
0: right. As long as you're not
1: putting tons of sauce, yeah, sauce exactly. and oils in it like yeah. anything. Yeah, and it's yeah.
2: a perfect dish for meat Three days you know mm, yeah, yeah absolutely
0: mm. and you know you can add stuff to that can't yeah. you yeah. And, yeah, yeah
2: exactly yeah no it's a
0: goodie I love it it's great anything else there Mark
1: uh, the other one is a bit of a chefy thing to a degree I suppose you've got to put these things in is um, is a smoked salmon souffle omelette oh <laughs>
2: <all> right <laughs> so
1: this comes yeah. back to also the thoughts about more and more people are eating egg whites because they're obviously much lower in fat um, in fact, I think it's an egg white as something like 0.006% per 100 grams of fat, so it literally doesn't exist. But the idea is that you would make a lighter product by you're still using the eggs and yolks in my recipe, but then you would whisk up the egg whites and fold them in, and then cook gently through, flash under the grill. So you got a much more lighter, uh, nicer mm. product.
3: Mm.
2: Your omelettes. Well, how would you do your omelette? Actually, I am very straightforward when it comes to omelets. Um, I just like to whisk with yogurt because I know people use cream. I like to use uh, yogurt. I find the flavor is deeper, but also the yogurt makes it puff. Um, I love um, vegetables such as mushrooms, mm. such as, um, of course, onions and garlic have to be there. That's like for but me, it's a farmyard ingredients, to the degree. <laughs> of course. And then um, goat cheese mm. is something that I always like to go for, salmon as well. And I just mix together, put um, um, in the skillet, uh-huh. and then just underneath a broiler. And that's really how I like it. However, one very good way to sustain your energy all day long, which I've been doing. Uh, recently because like my schedule is crazy but you eat in the morning and it sustains you greatly is just do a regular omelet and right before you put under the grill sprinkle the top with half a a cup of um, oats rolled oats and then just put it under the grill it looks like a cake in the end it tastes really good and it's so filling and and literally it's a battery of energy (laughs) Fabulous. Kevin says, favorite egg recipe, put six eggs in a
0: sealed container with a fresh truffle for a few days, then mm. make scrambled eggs with, with it with shaved truffle over the top. And it's heaven.
1: That's all about the infusion. Yeah.
0: In the, all about mm, yeah. the infusion and the ingredients. So it's the IN <laughs> in your food. That's what we like. Now, let's round off with Chef Dima's dessert
2: today. No eggs in this. No, but mountains in it? <laughs> 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 okay, so it's the mountain people's balawa. Again, we're talking about a story. So here's the scenario. I wanted to create a less sweet, more nutritional um, dessert. Um, that's also traditional because I wanted to do it for a traditional menu that's just um, upgraded. Um, and then the outcome to this was, I thought, what's more, what's more traditional than batlava? Let's go for bat But how, how can we make it more healthy, more nutritional, and also modern? Because I wanted it to actually impress when I served it. So instead of using atar, which is the sugar syrup in all Arabic cuisine um, desserts, I went for apple sauce. And then in making the apples at home, I used that boiling water, and I reduced it to almost nothing, and it just becomes syrupy. And it's the taste of the apple. And then I use that to glaze everything. And I went for like a lasagna technique instead of uh, the whole um, rolling of the batlawa. And I've done it in strips. So what I have done is I've sprinkled the tops with, after brushing with butter of the pastry, um, brush with butter and then sprinkle the tops with cinnamon and um, brown sugar, cane sugar, raw, um, unrefined and then I've put those in an oven and baked them until crisp um, separately I've prepared the nuts filling that is the uh, classic nuts filling just without the syrup and using that juice from the boiling and making the applesauce and a little bit of the applesauce with honey and then put that then I just simply layered on a plate and I used the applesauce like you would see in the picture to actually give it like a saucy feeling. It looks really nice. Mm. It tasted amazing and I twisted it a little bit with a bit of za'atar. You know us. We have you to have, to. have oh. za'atar you. everywhere. You have to.
0: Yeah, it is wonderful and the full recipe is up on our website. Check it out. All our recipes are there at dubaii1038.com forward slash Dubai today. It has been an absolute pleasure talking with you at table this morning with chef Dima Sharif and Mark Evans, product development manager for Spinney's. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you Susan. Thank you and congratulations Leonardo, you are the winner of the 500 dirhams to spend at Spinney's Ooh. for our mystery ingredient which was indeed the artichoke. The yes. artichoke. <laughs> a wonderful ingredient and thanks for all your messages this morning and you know what? There's Just squeeze in a little competition for you now that we're giving away. Premier tickets this is to the a royal night out which is the name of the movie you get to spend the night there not the whole night of course but to watch the movie and the novo cinema simplex which is near wafi center at the grand hyatt hotel it's a beautiful cinema if you fancy that on wednesday the 22nd of july then just text in the word movies with your name and you can check out the premiere that is a royal night out